Our scripture for today comes from the prophet of Jeremiah, uh, from chapter 32, starting at verse 6. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions of the opened copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. I charged Baruch in the presence saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Sometime when my dad and his sister were still children, their parents bought some property in Florida. Never mind the fact that they didn't really travel very much. Somehow, someone with some property to sell convinced them that they might want to move to Florida when they retired, and buying the property when they were young and the land was cheap would be a good investment. Those of you of a certain age probably remember an era in which a lot of young, idealistic people were tricked into buying swampland in Florida, not having seen the property in which they were investing, and buying into stories of massive developments that were about to take place. Many people bought land dreaming of vacation homes, only to find that the property they now owned was in the middle of a swamp under three feet of water. I don't think that my grandparents ever really knew for sure what they had purchased. My dad's father died young, well before retirement. His mother never moved beyond Cincinnati. I don't think they ever saw their purchase with their own eyes. I do know that my dad and his sister considered the land worthless. I remember as a kid, after my grandmother died, hearing them talk about this worthless swamp land in Florida that they now owned. Their parents had foolishly purchased it years before, now it was theirs, and they didn't know what to do with it. They decided to do nothing. They just left it to sit there. Property taxes went into arrears. Until one year, my parents were taking a vacation in Florida, and they decided, well, while, while we're there anyway, let's go see the property. What they found surprised them. The land was actually under development. The, the swamp, if there had ever been one, had been drained. Roads had gone in. There was a plan to put in utility lines within the next year and then start building houses. This land that they had for decades considered to be worthless was now actually worth something. My parents decided it was time to 
pay the back taxes and sell the property. My aunt, though, was unconvinced. She had not seen the property with her own eyes the way my parents had. She thought that her brother was being sold the same bill of goods that their parents had fallen for years before. As far as she was concerned, the land was still worthless. She didn't want to pay the taxes. She didn't want to sell the land. She didn't want to do anything. Eventually, my parents convinced her to sign over her interest to them since she, so that they could do something with it since she didn't want to be involved. They promised to share the profits with her if there were any. It wasn't a, land, uh, uh, it wasn't a windfall for them. They, they didn't make a fortune, but there was something of value there, something worth taking notice of, something worth redeeming, something that couldn't be seen decades earlier. I'm sure that people thought Jeremiah was a fool for buying the land that he bought at the time that he bought it. Jeremiah was a prophet of God during the 7th and 6th centuries BC. He prophesied in and around Jerusalem, which was the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered and destroyed by the armies of Assyria. Judah had escaped that destruction. The Assyrian empire was in decline, so Jerusalem felt somewhat secure. Jeremiah prophesied that this was a false security. He proclaimed the judgment of God on Judah and the message that Judah was to be punished and destroyed just as Israel had been before them. This time, the destruction would come at the hands of Babylon, led by Nebuchadnezzar. That was not what the kings and power brokers of Judah wanted to hear. Instead, they listened to the false prophets who told them not to worry, that, that God would protect them, that they would continue to prosper. Well, sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar led a successful campaign against Judah. He dragged the king, Jehoiakim, and many other influential Jews back to Babylon, where they would live in exile. In Judah, he installed Zedekiah as king. The people who remained in Jerusalem, like Jeremiah, knew that they were in a very tenuous position. They were forced to pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. His armies could return at any moment to finish what they had begun, which is exactly what was happening at the beginning of chapter 32. Verse 2 says, at the time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. Jeremiah had been saying this would happen for some time. He had been prophesying that Nebuchadnezzar would destroy the entire city and capture Zedekiah. And because of that, Zedekiah had Jeremiah locked up under guard in the palace court. It was there in the palace court. While Jerusalem was under siege by the Babylonian army, just as the entire city was about to be laid waste, just as the entire country was about to be conquered and destroyed, just as it was clear that no Jew was going to own anything anymore, anywhere in the region, it was at that precise moment that Jeremiah's cousin came to him and said, I have a piece of land to sell you. You're going to love it. Right outside the city, beautiful view, can't beat it, wonderful place to retire. And Jeremiah said, sounds good. Where do I sign? That wasn't because Jeremiah was in the market for a retirement home. And it wasn't an investment that he thought he could use to turn a quick profit. 
He bought his cousin's land not because he wanted it, but because God told him to. He did it as an act of faith. Faith in God and faith in the future. Five times in this short story, Jeremiah says this all happened according to the word of the Lord. That the Lord told him Hanamel would come to him and offer to sell his land. That the Lord told him to purchase the land. That the Lord told him exactly how much to pay for the land and where to put the signed papers after the purchase. All of this was according to God's direction. You almost get the feeling that Jeremiah knows this purchase makes no practical sense that the land he's buying is worthless. The Babylonians are about to seize everything. Property deeds will mean nothing. Nebuchadnezzar will be in control. Jeremiah will still be imprisoned. He might even be dead soon. To anyone looking on and saying, what a foolish man, what a senseless purchase. Jeremiah wants it to be known, look, this wasn't my idea. God told me to do it. There was a reason God told him to do it. God had a purpose for this transaction. It was to be a sign. A sign not just to Jeremiah, but to all of the people of Judah, the people who were facing the onslaught of the enemy, people who were on the verge of losing their homes, losing their inheritances, losing every material possession that had ever meant anything to them, people who were about to be carried away into exile, or people who would be left in the land with nothing because they were so unimportant they weren't even worth the Babylonians' effort to bother with them, to all of these people whose lives were being turned upside down, Jeremiah's purchase of this plot of land was a sign of hope for the future. Hope for the future. Verse 15 drives home the point. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. That land in the present moment had absolutely no value. For the next 70 years, neither Jeremiah nor any of his relatives would be able to execute that deed. But God lifts our eyes up beyond the present moment to see that he has a plan for the future. To see that he has a promise for the future. To know that God will bring us through to a time of restoration. Jeremiah followed God's instruction to buy that plot of land because as terrible as the present moment was, he believed in the future that God had promised. He was grateful for the future that God had promised. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That same theme runs throughout the Bible. We experience hardships now. We experience pain now. But we know there are better days ahead. And not just better days. God-filled days. Days of abundance, joyful days are promised. We are a people of hope. 
We are a people of hope because we are a people of God, and we have the promise that God will bring restoration, that his ways will triumph, that he will set all things to rights. That night during which the weeping tarries, sometimes it's an awful long night, The language there is figurative. Sometimes that night goes on, seems to go on forever. For the people of Judah, it would go on for 70 years. 70 years before they could return home in peace. 70 years before they could reclaim their ancestral inheritances. 70 years of weeping and sorrow. But all throughout that time, they knew that the day was coming when God would restore all that had been lost and more. That promise gave them hope. And that hope for the future made them grateful. I've heard it said, I think I've even seen it on a bumper sticker, everything works out in the end. If things aren't working out, It's not the end. I'm usually leery of bumper sticker theology, but that one's pretty good. It sums up the promise of our faith. God works all things for the good of those who love him. All things. God works all things for good. That doesn't mean that everything is good. Sin is not good. Evil is not good. By definition, evil can't be considered good. Tragedy is not good. Natural disasters causing death and destruction. Terminal illness, war. We face all kinds of things that are not good. But the Bible says God works all things for good. That means even things that are not of God, even things that he didn't cause, even all these terrible things, God can use them to bring about his desired outcome. God redeems it all, redeems, redemption. It's a word that goes back to Old Testament times. You find it in this story from Jeremiah. Hanamel came to his cousin Jeremiah asking him to purchase his land because the right of redemption belonged to him. Redemption meant to buy something back so that it wouldn't be lost. Ancestral inheritances were extremely important. Keeping land in the family, it was a matter of of providing for future generations. It was also a matter of pride and honor. If someone had to give up their land, sell it off outside of the family, that, that would be humiliating, tragic. Therefore, if someone was in a position where they had to sell their land, before selling it outside the family, they first inquired if someone within the family would redeem it buy it back so that it wouldn't be lost, keep it in the family. The right of redemption went to the closest kin. That person had the first opportunity to buy the land. And it wasn't just like the right of first refusal where you get a first shot at a great investment. It was more of an obligation, a matter of honor, a case of family pride, provision for the future. For the next of kin to pay the redemption price, to redeem the land. That was literally saving the family. 
The Bible doesn't tell us why Hanamel needed to, save, needed to sell his land. There's nothing about a physical disability. He has to travel to Jeremiah to make the offer. Jeremiah is locked up in the palace courts. And when he comes to Jeremiah, he doesn't say anything about any kind of plight that he's facing. He simply says, do you want to buy my field? The right of redemption is yours. Could it be that Hanamel sees what is happening with the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians? He knows that this land is about to be taken away. Why not get some money for it before that happens? I don't know if that's his motivation. That, that's conjecture on my part. But it is certain that both Hanamel and Jeremiah and everyone else around knew that that land was about to become worthless. Jeremiah redeemed it anyway. He bought it back. He protected it. He showed that it had tremendous value. Even when it appeared to the world, it had none. He showed that there was hope, a promise, a future for which to be grateful. There's some powerful imagery in that because that is precisely what Jesus did for us. God redeems us in Jesus. The reason we use the word redemption for what Jesus did, is because he paid the price to buy us back. He bought us back from sin and death. He paid the price so that we wouldn't be sold off to the devil and lost forever. He showed that we have tremendous value regardless of what valuation the world places on us. He showed that we have hope and a promise, and a future for which to be grateful. No matter the past, how awful it's been, or how awful we've been, that doesn't matter, because in God's eyes, we matter. Jesus paid the price to redeem our past and give us a hope-filled future. No matter the struggles we're going through in the present, no matter how difficult it is right now, no matter how dark the night may be, God says, behold, I make all things new. God redeems even the present moment. He buys it back. He uses it for good rather than evil. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. He works all things for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Through it all, he draws us closer to himself. He leads us into that blessed future that he has already planned and already promised to us. We can be grateful as Christians to know that we have a future full of hope, full of hope. That we have the promise that God will not abandon us, God will not forget us, God will never withdraw his love from us, 
God is always with us, redeeming each moment and restoring our hope in the future. We can be grateful for knowing that this is not the end, that there are better days ahead, that we have been redeemed, that God is in control. So let us be grateful, grateful for the future that we have in Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord, thank you for that knowledge that you have redeemed us. And not only us, but every moment of our lives you have redeemed, you have bought it back so that you could bring good from it. So that you could use all of that to build us up, to teach us, to lead us, to encourage us, and to remind us that you are a God of restoration. You are a God of hope and promise. Lord, restore us even now. Set our eyes on those promises that you have for us so that we might live into those glorious promises, those amazing days that you have ahead. Lord, make us always hopeful, no matter what situation we're in now, because we know that you will bring us through. You are with us through it all, and we thank you for your presence, for your power, and for your promise. Lord, continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as individuals, upon our church, that we will continue to share that message of hope and promise that comes from Jesus Christ to others who have not yet heard it, to others who have not yet received it, to those who are going through trials and struggles and don't know where to turn. May they know, Lord, that they can turn to you, for you are ever there. Thank you for that promise, Lord. Keep us close to you now and forever as we live into that future that you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name.